Welcome to It's a Good Day Podcast. We are sisters who love to chat and believe that through Jesus, even the tough seasons are good. We want to share the stories of ordinary people and have some laughs along the way. I'm Delight. I'm the older one. I'm August, and I'm the younger one. You never know what will happen on our show, but we hope you will join us as we find the good in every day. Hey friends, thank you for joining us for part two. Today we welcome back Corwin Christman. We left off where he was starting to tell us about his journey toward his dream job of being a police officer. Let's pick back up with that story. I applied to a police academy. Um, in New York State, you can actually do the police academy in two different phases. Phase one would be you can put yourself through all of the civilian side of everything, okay. which is basically which is like 90% of what you need to go through a police academy. And then the other, the other like 15, 10 or 15% is the actual police side, which is like firearms and certain police tactics that you, you're not allowed to teach to civilians Sure. and, and other, other, meaning like you needed to be hired meaning before you, you needed could to be a police officer. Correct. Okay. So in New York state, the two phases, the first phase you can take it. That's basically all the, just the, like the learning and the laws. And then the second phase is all the hands-on stuff where you basically learn, learn how to be a weapon. Um, anyways. So then I ended up getting hired out of the police Academy. Funny thing, like in the police Academy, I was number one in my class for all my academics. I was number one for all my tests. And I was a president of the, class i was older than everybody else i think everybody else was probably in their late teens early 20s and i was 27 i think at the time or 26 Mm -hmm. but my my average was better than anybody else they were all students that were on their way to get their four-year degree this was basically the end of their college experience and completing this course would give them their four-year degree bachelor's degree right so here i am with with barely any credits a homeschool kid who i just applied myself like i studied everything when i was there and i went through all the coursework and i basically memorized everything that i needed to to pass the test and to do all of that which is that's what you're supposed to do and i had the best average overall of everybody i had the best test scores um the best like pop pop quiz scores and then overall mine was the best score at the end of the academy which is just crazy to me to think about like you can really if you apply yourself to something and you work the hardest harder than anybody else at least when it comes to academic stuff in this situation um you can you can be really really good at something you can be a really high quality so Atlas has joined us. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> anyway, so forward on to there, um, out of the police academy. Before I was even completed the police academy, I got hired. My, the director of the police academy, Sonny Duquette is his name. He'll never listen to this, but he's the man. <laughs> um, he got me the job. Maybe basically. he will if you send him the link later. Yeah, there you go. I could send it to him on Facebook. I'm sure he'd love to listen to it. Anyways, he, um, in my mind, he revolutionized the, the way that police academies are done. He didn't focus quite as much on the screaming at people and like, 
the fear tactics, he focused a lot more on teaching and training. And his philosophy was always, well, if my students are always so scared, how are they going to be able to be ready to take in information that mm-hmm. I want them to take in? You know what I mean? If you're sitting in a desk, sitting at a desk and you always have to be sitting perfectly upright with your hands in a certain way, you know what I mean? And everybody right. follows a certain thing, which a lot of police academies still are. Um, he just was like, that's, that's not how people learn. Yeah. He was more of the mindset of, of, um, keeping people comfortable so that they can take in the information. Obviously he wasn't, he wasn't about nonsense. We still did plenty of pushups and running and we still had to do lots of stuff when we messed up, but he was just, he was really good at teaching and training. So part of the reason I am where I am today, I believe. So anyway, so after the Academy or just, just at the end, he got me the job and, an agency sponsored me through the second phase, which is what you have to have. You have to be a hired police officer to go through the second phase. So he called that agency. He was like, hey, president of the class, you would be lucky to have him basically hired with your department. So they ended up hiring me, and the rest is history. I I worked there part-time. I got another police job part-time, and I was working 55, 60 hours a week <laughs> between the two departments. And then... Um, I ended up getting hired full-time in Rome, New York, with the police department there. And uh, then then after being there a little over a year, I was able to transfer back to a department here closer to home. So anyway, that was... you love it, right? And I love it. And I love it. Yep. There's, There's so many different interesting things about policing. If it's not a job that you feel called to, don't do it. Because it... It's an extremely stressful job that you you have to be at 100% all the time. Right. Because if you're not, you could get somebody killed or yourself killed. So you have to be able to be alert and on edge all the time, which is why right. so many police officers have anxiety problems and have issues outside of work because you, for 12 hours a day, you're at such a heightened level. Your brain is always like changing and focusing on different things very rapidly right and you have to be able to think really quickly so in the moments when you're back home or whatever and you get into a situation that's could be close to what it is when you're doing policing like you have to be able to think like a dad and a husband not a police officer right which is very it's it can be very tough for me i absolutely love the job and feel called to it and feel like god has given me a lot of grace um, to be able to just turn up, turn work off when I go home. Right. Like I don't, I don't bring stuff home with me. I don't talk to Hannah a lot about some of the scarier stuff or some of the more gruesome stuff or some of that kind of thing. I talk to her a little bit about some of the nicer things, like when when I um, am able to save somebody or that kind of thing. But like just last night, I was working and. A call came out. It was a cardiac arrest. So the basically the lady wasn't breathing. She had no heartbeat. I get there. I was the first one on scene. And she wasn't breathing. She was turning blue. So I started CPR right away. And she ended up, after about 10 minutes, the the um, Amcare came. Or not Amcare, but uh, EMT. the EMTs came. And, and the fire department came, who are also EMTs. And they started working on her then. And then she ended up coming back. So she, we basically saved her life after about 10 minutes 
of working on her. So like those stories are cool. I mean, that's fun to be able to go back and talk about and say, Hey, like that lady would have died. You know what I mean? If she was there probably for another, I don't know, five, 10 minutes, she would, I would have either died or she'd be brain dead because she'd have no oxygen um, in her, in her blood. So the fact that I was able to get there as quick as I was, start circulating the blood, like that could very well be the reason that she's alive. So that type of thing is really, really cool, but there's not a lot of situations where you talk about those things because that they don't happen as much. Right. <laughs> Usually it's the bad stuff that happens, but right. it's it's fun. It's nice to be able to get on scene as a police officer and not be hated. Like as soon as I got there, the kid son was freaking out like screaming like you gotta help me you gotta help me you gotta help me you know what i mean so most of the time police are are not wanted not wanted at, not wanted at all but as soon as i walked up he's like waving me in and, and screaming for me to help him you and like that his mom is you know what i mean she's dying or she's not breathing or whatever so it's nice to be welcomed into a situation what what kind of things do you have to do kind of in the, you know, maybe in the off time so that you are ready to be on in the on time? Like you said about um, just about switching back and forth and not, you know, not bringing your job to your parenting kind of. But how do you, yeah, how do you get through the things that are difficult to see or experience without letting it affect the rest of life. Well, it all comes down to the the short version is, is knowing the Holy spirit and letting him lead and letting him be the, um, the driving force behind everything that you do. Because in reality, us as humans, we can't we can't carry the burdens that other people place or that other people have or whatever. I mean, you just can't because we don't have the ability to see certain things and not let it affect us. Right. So in those in those moments, you have to be able to say, okay, what what do I need to do so that this doesn't basically take hold of my heart or base take hold of my mind with fear or whatever else. Right. So break that down a little bit for me. Like what does that practically look like? So a lot of times talking about something helps relieve the stress or whatever. It's kind of funny because I'm not a big, I'm not a big stress person. Mm-hmm. I don't get stressed out and I don't really, I don't really get to the place of, I don't know. I don't really get to that place of where it bubbles over to the point where I, something could be horribly wrong for me. I'm just constantly daily giving over everything that I have to God and just saying, Hey, like I, I can't take anything really and and walk without you. So therefore for me specifically, because I'm just walking day to day, giving everything over to the Lord and saying, well, it's not, it's not my burden to bear. It's not my burden to bear. It's not my burden to bear. That's just become second nature for me to just, when something comes in that could even be a stress, 
it just isn't because I've already given it over to God. And I just don't, I just don't let stuff fester in my mind. I think like, I'll give you a situation when I was working in Rome, um, there was this guy that had ended up committing suicide and it was a very, very gruesome scene. And I, it, it was, it didn't end up being my call, but I was there and I saw the individual and it was the only way to describe it is horrifying, just absolutely horrifying. But even in that, even when in that situation, when you see something that it's like, wow, I can never unsee. Like even right now I can picture in my mind what mm-hmm. it looked like and the, just the horror horrorness of the situation. I can, even in that moment, I can say, but you're bigger, God, you, you're the one who carries me through, you know what I mean? Even just in my mind, like, it's so funny with the way that mom and dad taught us the renewing of our mind and just letting God take stuff. It's even in the back of my mind that even when I picture that image, it's just like, okay, God, but I give that to you. Like, that's not my stress to bear. That's, that's all you. So it's just constantly giving something back to the Lord and saying, okay, but you're bigger and I know that you can take care of this and I know that I can't. And when you just release the stress that could become an issue, it just doesn't. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing. I guess the only place to wor- start working on that type of thing is just to start with the little things that frustrate you and just say, okay, right. God, I give this to you. I give this to you. I give this to you. And just constantly giving back to the Lord what is rightfully his, what he died for. You know what I mean? When yeah. he died on the cross to take away those things for us so i had another thought but i think i lost it yeah i lost it i'm sure it'll come back to me (laughs) how would you say that being a police officer has changed you see that's the that there, there was my thought we were talking about training our kids and not letting the job affect my child training Mm -hmm. because I'm a dad first that actually affects my policing more than my policing affects my fathering and it's it's so funny because my identity even though I love being a police officer and I love the job like I don't find my identity in being a police officer yes I I love the authority and I love the ability to help people and I love the dangerous situations and I love all of those things but at the end of the day I'm not a police officer. I'm I'm a father and I'm a child of God. So those are the things that that are my identity, not being a policeman. So that's that was what I was that was the thought that I kind of had of that's how I can make it so my job doesn't affect my day-to-day life. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, and even we're... like yeah, probably when you come across situations with families, I bet you think of it differently than a police officer that doesn't have family. Yeah. Yeah. Probably like you see a lot of brokenness because that's who you're dealing with. Right. And I'm not really supposed to openly pray for people or do that kind of thing. Not that I wouldn't if, if I was prompted to like I've seen in um, like death situations where it was just an old person that had died and, when you die without like the care of a doctor, you have to have an investigation by the police and 
and certain things. And there was an individual who he was like 55 years old. He had a lot of medical complications. I believe he had like cerebral palsy and some other things. And he had died not in the care of the doctors. And I was on scene. It ended up being my call. And so we're going through the all the motions. And the fire chief at the time showed up on scene. And it's funny because police and fire, like fire, firemen can get away with so much more <laughs> than police can because everybody loves a fire department because the fire department always shows up and saves the day. Anyway, so he, uh, the fire chief shows up on scene and uh, he immediately, like you can just tell, I could tell he had the Holy Spirit and he had the presence of the, of the Lord with him. And he said to the family, he said, oh, I'm so sorry, like. I want to pray over you and I want to bless you. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you're never going to turn away somebody praying when your loved one just died. So so he immediately prayed and, was, and the Holy Spirit was just like, boom, there. And I was like, this is freaking awesome. <laughs> like, isn't it so cool to have people that carry the Holy Spirit in these jobs and in these moments that can really bless and bring down yeah. a sense of peace and a sense of blessing? And it wasn't a bad situation. He... He was in his mid-50s. They knew that he was going to die. It wasn't like a... It's still hard. Yeah. But they knew that it was going to happen sooner rather than later. Right. So, But it's it was cool. still cool. It's cool probably like if you encounter that kind of situation to be like, oh, he's on my side. Like he's... Like we're both going oh, yeah, absolutely. for the same thing. We're both yeah. going toward the same goal. Right. And both... And knowing that I have the Holy Spirit in me and he has the Holy Spirit in him... I hope that people feel that like when I walk in the room or when I say certain things or when I do certain things, I hope that non-believers and other Christians who don't necessarily know, quote unquote, that I'm a Christian, that when I talk, they can feel the Holy Spirit be like, holy cow, like he has something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did we stray off the question? I don't even remember what we were talking about. How Um, being a policeman has affected who you are kind of? Oh yeah. Changed you or has it changed you? Oh, it's changed me. I would say the only thing that it's done is made me more paranoid. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm if I'm working, I'm like I said, I'm always on edge. I'm always looking. So if I'm sitting in my car in a parking lot, it affects where I park. It affects where I sit in a restaurant. It affects everything that I do, especially when I'm working because you're wearing a uniform and you are a target. You're immediately a target because you're the one that's in the, the car that says police on it. <laughs> um, but it's definitely like a, if I'm sitting in a parking lot, I'm always looking in my rearview mirror. I'm always looking in my side mirrors. I'm constantly turning around and looking in my blind spots to see, is anybody walking up behind me? Right. And there's been, there's been a couple different times where like somebody has not snuck up on me, quote unquote, but has gotten up to my car without me realizing, like I'm sitting doing a report, somebody knocks on your window and that's literally the scariest feeling in the world because like they, people do just sneak up on cop cars and shoot people, shoot a police officer in the, in the car. So that like weighs on my mind all the time. It's a little bit less in Carthage, but just because it's a smaller place and crime is not as prevalent as it would be in a big city. Um, 
but it's still like it's still constantly there because I watch videos and I and I hear stories of people who get careless and who get complacent and feel like they're safe and they stop doing those things like checking their blind spots and looking in the mirrors and doing all of that and I just I still do it and now when I'm off duty when I'm not working like I'm just always looking around I'm always paying attention situational awareness everybody should have it but you don't really learn it until you've seen all the things that you've seen and until you um have been working and doing the job for a little while so i've been doing the job for four years and i went in the police academy in, in 2016 i think it was so just or just under four years because mm -hmm. i graduated in 2017 right so like three and a half years so i'm still fairly new at policing um but i don't know I guess between, like they say that you, you become very confident at year five. Like that's when you feel like, okay, I can do this job. Which the other day I just said to Hannah, I was like, I feel really confident. Like I was able to complete a major felony arrest without any help from my chief, without any paperwork help, without calling him and saying, hey, what's the procedure here? Any of that stuff. So I was able to complete it all on my own, which most felonies in most departments get picked up by a detective. So for the, the, the fact that I'm doing felony level stuff without any help from anybody else is pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, only the smaller departments don't have detectives. <laughs> right. So anyways, policing's definitely, it's definitely changed. It's definitely changed the way that I treat danger. Right like in that situation, but it hasn't really changed my outlook on anything else. I don't think other than maybe speeding. <laughs> uh, I used to drive the speed limit everywhere as I went. No, I'm not quite as good. Do you want the whole world to know that? Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's a fact of life. Anyway, <laughs> you might get some flack for that. Uh, oh. <laughs> you might get some flack for that. If it's still in the episode. <laughs> Coming out. Um, what advice would you give to parents that have children like with a dream? Oh man, that's a, that is such a good question. Um, number one, to be willing to do the hard things because dreams do not come easy. Like fulfillment of dreams do not come easy at all. And so it's almost as much work for a parent as it is for a kid or for a dreamer. So you have to, number one, be willing to put in hard work. Right, you have to sew into it. So that they can be fulfilled in that. I would say the second big thing is probably just encouraging always being encouraging knowing you have to have a clear path first of all but you have to be able to encourage the person that you're that that has that dream you have to be able to encourage them in the in the correct direction and what they need to do if, if not squashing it right specifically for a kid some dreams could maybe be far-fetched or even the idea 
of me wanting to be a police officer at, at the age of a young teenager, 12, 13, 14, if, um, if, if dad was just basically like, oh, it's never going to happen, you're not good enough, that probably would have done a lot more damage rather than you're, you're going to have to work really hard. Right. You know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't discourage me, I don't think. He just encouraged me in the correct direction and right. said, if this is something you want, then you're going to have to work really hard for it. Yep. So just being able to work with your kid, having a clear path, and just encouraging the correct steps in the correct areas. It's so funny because most kids or a lot of kids want to be a professional baseball player or be a professional football player or do something that, that like or an actor, a professional actor. You know what I mean? And those things, it's funny because the top 0.051%, the, the top 1%, I should say, actually achieve those specific things so right. Right. if you had a kid that came to you and was like oh i want to be you know what i mean one in a billion basically how would you encourage that but i think you would encourage it the same way that you would encourage oh i want to pitch on the little league you know what i mean you mm -hmm. encourage you give them a clear path and then you know what i mean you work really really hard what does a what does a clear path look like to you or like, what does that mean? Well, for me, in my in my academics, I had to know that, okay, what's the first step? Well, I have to take a test. Okay, yeah. what do I need to do to be ready for that test? I have to learn how to read. I have to learn how to write. I have to learn how to do math. And what is my test tailored to? You know what I mean? And then just flooding in all the possible information you can for that mm -hmm. specific thing it's like yeah. so like giving them the resources yeah. that they need or like that kind of, or pushing them toward the resources that they're gonna need right. is that kind of okay right well leading leading them toward the resources i've never found i mean pushing i think is just a it's a well making it available to them kind of yeah if they want to run because with the it. bottom line Guiding, is maybe. you're never going to you're never going to push somebody into greatness. It doesn't happen, right? Because great people, they they're not gonna they're not gonna let themselves be pushed. But it's just not going to it's not gonna work. <laughs> so as a parent, just putting that stuff in front of them, if they voice, "Hey, I want to be a professional runner," okay, I'll buy you the shoes, I'll buy you the the shorts, I'll I'll buy you the shirts, I'll buy you the water bottles. We'll We'll buy books and read and do research and all that stuff. But in the end, the drive has to come from the person who has right. to have the drive. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can't have the drive for somebody else. Just like losing weight. I can't have the drive for somebody else to lose weight. Right. All I can do is say, I'll help you. I'll give you the resources. I'll give I'll you the information. You. I'll encourage you. You know what I mean? I'll do all of these things. But the bottom line is you have to be the person that every day makes the decision to eat the egg over the ice cream cone. Right. You know what I mean? So it's no different in every facet of every daily life thing. That's just how it is. Right. It's no different than waking up in the morning and doing your bed. What's the first thing that needs to be done? Oh, I need to pick up my room. I need to do my bed. I need to do my laundry. You know what I mean? There's just the little stuff is where it starts. And if you can be consistent with those yep. things, then you're going to be able to be consistent when it's 
raining out and cold and well i want to run a marathon but i don't really want to go out today you know what i mean but if i don't go out today then i might not be able to run the marathon right because what if it's like that that you run the marathon right it's just different just different levels so it starts with being consistent and teaching your children a consistent lifestyle from the beginning yeah teaching a lifestyle being disciplined and being able to put things in front of them and have them complete tasks and all that stuff as a as a dad do you feel like you can already see in your children like interests that they have or you know to start cultivating and kind of encouraging certain areas or do you feel like they're too young or yeah um i think it starts at different stages with different ages and different personalities and different kids and that kind of thing right like so if we if i was to pick apart my kids like castle already is extremely inventive he loves making things he loves like putting things together like legos he absolutely loves legos he's not great at them yet but he loves them yeah and he likes like building model yeah he loves building things and doing that um which i don't probably encourage as much as i should because that's probably where he's going to end up because his brain is just trained that way a little bit more but the other side of stuff for him is he loves to run like he's very very into running and he's probably out of all the kids he's the one that works out consistently with me and he's the one that that would run with me and he would work with me and he really loves to do it he every time i go out and run he's like oh i want to go run with you so i probably push him more on that aspect of it because i think that i think that the other side of stuff has like the mental side comes more naturally to him so i think that's going to be easier to where the physical side of stuff is going to come harder so i would rather encourage plus i like the outdoor stuff i like running and physical stuff more as well so i guess if part of it is if he wants to be with me and wants to do stuff with me we're gonna do kind of what i want to do at this point (laughs) you know what i'm saying but he loves he loves to run that's his big thing and we started doing that like two years ago and he um he wanted to competitively run at that point he wanted to do a race and i was like nah you're too little I think that was in Rome. I was running I was running a race in Rome and he wanted to do it with me. I said, Well, we'll wait a couple more years and until you feel a little bit more confident in doing that. So Castle I would say he's he's um very intricate when it comes to building things and making things. He's very inventive and he also likes to do um he also likes to do the physical stuff outside. Lana as far as her, she is extremely um, gifted with music already, I would say. She sings all the time. She reminds me of August, how much she sings. And she like she just writes random songs. And Castle, he's done a couple of those as well, but not like Lana. She will just, she doesn't even need to write it down. She just starts singing and it, a, a song comes out and it's cute. And sometimes it's like, oh, wow, that actually like. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you, sh- you should write this down, Lana. It's interesting, she's yeah. Like, oh, I don't care. I'm just going to keep singing it. Um, she's also artistic. She loves to draw. She likes to do um, She likes to do painting. And I've got this app on my phone. It's called Color Color Crew or Color Krill or something like that. And she, um, 
she loves to do the the colors like she'll it's it's color by number i think it's called so you just click on a number let's say brown and then you find all the number ones and then they all turn into brown and anyway so she loves doing that cruise is a little bit more um logical i think he's a very he's a very good arguer he might be a lawyer i don't know <laughs> i hate arguing i'm not a big fan of arguing so that part of him kind of irks me a little bit but i think that 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 could be something that he turns out to or turns into being really really good at is is being able to look at information take it all in and then give it back out and tell somebody here's here's why the earth is round and you know what i mean mm -hmm. like the logical side of stuff and then sky i'm not sure she's still pretty little probably too little to really understand where she's at with stuff she's mostly just fun and she just runs around and <laughs> she plays <laughs> uh, so she's I, just sweet and pretty she is very sweet and very pretty um so i would say probably like four or five is where you really start to see some of those things formulate to be able to encourage and and that kind of thing most kids are all from the first couple of years, they're all the same. You know what I mean? They're all still working themselves through the different phases of babyhood. Right. Just like this little guy. <laughs> Atlas, he's playing with a potted plant. <laughs> a plant. Anyways. Did you have more to your question? Did you have any more? No, I just think that it's interesting to think about as a parent just and very I feel like it's very, very important to pour into your children and pay attention to what they what they gravitate towards. And I think it really yeah. makes or breaks what they do. And I've I've seen people that have done a really, really good job of being like, this is what my child is interested in and they pour into that but yeah that's what I'm talking about that kind of thing and I think yeah it's just really important to to pour into it and to be paying attention to what your kids are interested in I would the other thing I was gonna say the other thing I was gonna say with that is if you're not good in an area that your child wants to exceed in mm -hmm. getting them with people who are good at those yes. things Totally. You know what I mean? If I if my kid wants to be a writer, but I'm a terrible writer and I really don't know how to help you in that, giving them a resource, like you said earlier, resources to be able to work in that avenue. Right. And even sometimes, like, kids don't – they're not going to respond to their parents the same way that they're going to respond to a violin teacher. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I love yeah. music. That's something we haven't really even talked about at all. I know. I, I love music, and I'm very – very musically inclined but like when my kids start getting ready to learn music and really be into guitar or drums or bass or piano i probably won't do a lot of the teaching yep because i think that you learn way better from somebody else rather than your parent because a parent i don't know it's such an interesting role you're a friend but you are you're the authority figure and you're basically the bottom line of this you have to do this when i tell you to do it Right. right. So yeah. it's just it's just a weird relationship where 
a teacher or like a music teacher can be fun and can spin stuff in different ways that help you learn it rather than being like, oh, I don't want right. to receive this. And because- can still be authoritative, but right. like in a different way. Yeah. Right. Because I, it's like you way. were saying earlier about like having that self-motivation for the things we're really going to do. Right. And I think when it's a parent, it's not about self-motivation. It's about obedience. Correct. But when it's another teacher, you know, that's outside right. of that you have to have a good dose also of the self-motivation otherwise because a teacher that's not your parent they'll say okay they'll drop you you know right well yeah that's if you're not going to practice or apply yourself so i think that may be right well i did lessons for a long time i did drum lessons for a long time and you taught them you mean yeah i i taught drum lessons for a long time and i've had a number of different students that have gone on to be very very good musicians right and who have done really, really well. And I've had a number of students that they didn't really learn much and they didn't really do all that good. And it was, it was all about, it's funny because the parents would push them and they weren't even teaching them, but they would push them. And the kids that the parents and the kids that would get pushed, they didn't do very well, but the kids that just, Wanted to do it on their own. Wanted to do it on their own. They learned and they did really, really well. Right. That's funny. That's funny to think about. Like even even though even though the parents aren't even teaching the drums, just the fact that they're pushing their kids into something that, eh, I mean, yeah, it's an idea. Maybe it's something that I want to do. And the parents are like, oh, okay, well, I'll pay for you to have lessons. And then they're like, no, you're gonna go and no, you're gonna you're gonna do your practicing and all of that stuff. Like, those kids just didn't do very good. Right. Yep. It's an interesting tension between, like, just doing something, you know, finishing what you started or yeah. doing something like how, like the verse that talks about train up a child in the way that he will go, mm-hmm. which we talk about, you know, meaning in the way that they're bent, in the way that they're, what comes naturally or the way that they're kind of going to, to direct them. That's kind of what we're talking about, you know. Of, right of that. And I think maybe there's some value in both in the, you know, the age old, the age old, you really wanted a flute. So your dad makes you finish out the flute lessons or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, is yeah right. Whatever. But I think that's where as a parent, you really have to be good at gauging that, that yeah. those things and being able to read your kid in my, the way that we kind of parent is when it comes to extracurricular stuff, I'm not really going to push my kid. Right. You know what I mean? If you want to do something, that's fine. But when it comes to like the brass tacks of things that are actually important, you're going to get pushed. And if you say, hey, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to volunteer. Um, let's I'm going to vo- go volunteer to shelter. You know what I mean? And they say this is something that I want to do. And they commit to it. I'm going to make them finish that out. That's not an extracurricular thing in my opinion. That's a that's a if I say that I'm going to do this, I'm going to finish it out. To where if they were like, "Hey, I I want to go take drum lessons." And they come back to me one day and they're like, "You know what? I I don't really want to take drum lessons anymore." Then I'd be like, "Well, that's fine if it's not something that you want to do. Right. That's perfectly fine." I think I feel like it's different when you're paying for a service. And they decided that they don't want that service anymore. Right. So. 
That's right. different. Or if than, it's if you figure out, you know, they start the soccer team and it's just really not their thing. Right. I don't think that. Why push them? Right. To just do something to, that they absolutely do not want to do. Right. You can teach them to finish what they start other places. I think. Right. And I think it's all just like everything in parenting and most all of life, just like following the Holy Spirit's prompts for mm-hmm. certain things, like whether to push them to keep doing it or whether to say, nah, meh, they right. can do something else. Yeah. I think it's easier to choose, pick and choose your battles. You know what yep. I mean? Push with the obedience and the disobedience and, and the heart issues. Push yeah. with those things. And oh, be yeah. consistent with those things. For sure. And the other stuff doesn't really, I don't think it matters that much. Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming, Corin. It's fun oh, to have thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. <laughs> you kind of forget that the microphones are there when you actually like start talking and like, get <laughs> into stuff. That's, that's good. good. That's the that's the hope. <laughs> that's the hope. But we have one question we always ask at the end. Do you know what it is? Of course I do, but you should ask me. Oh, oh okay. I'm just making <laughs> sure you know what it is before you can <laughs> cut this out. <laughs> Um, what did I, I don't know. You said we have one question we always ask at the end. Oh, yeah. So what's good about today? What is good about today? Well, I am a man with a family. I am a man with a job. I am a man with a house, with food, with clothes. Ultimately, I am a man that is just blessed beyond belief and... Being blessed with all of those things is what's good about today. All I can say is that God is good, and no matter what happens, he is what's good about today, and he will be what's good about tomorrow and forever. So thanks for having me, guys. Super blast. We should do this again. I'm going to be the third podcaster. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like everybody, all of oh, our friends man. trying to steal the third position there we go. that we aren't opening to all anybody at this point. They're just, just, <laughs> they're just lining down the door. up, sending the applications oh, every day, tens of thousands. <laughs> sure. <Wow. laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for listening and have a good day. Have a good day. Good day.